Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On today's episode, we get into chat GPT, what it's all about, and how it will or will not impact legal work. I asked Tommy Ferreira Legal Ops over at Cedar to co-host, and we sat down with Basha Rubin, co-founder and CEO of Priori, and Jackie Schaefer, founder and CEO of clearbrief.ai. Two very cool women and legal tech founders of cool products. And look, this episode is not sponsored. I wanted their expertise, even if only armchair status as reported by Basha. Chat GPT, let's get into it. Welcome, Jackie and Basha for joining Clock Talk today. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. So, Jackie, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself for our audience? I'm Jackie Schaefer. I'm the founder and CEO of ClearBrief, and I'm a career litigator. I started at Paul Weiss, New York, but I spent most of my career as a government litigator in Alaska and here in Washington State. I'm based here in Seattle. And before I launched the company, I was also in-house counsel. So I'm super excited for this conversation as well. And what ClearWave does is we are a Microsoft Word add-in that brings AI into the writing process so that as you're writing, you can select any sentence in your draft and our AI will suggest the exact page from across all your discovery or your uploaded PDFs to support what you're trying to prove with your sentence. So we bring the receipt and then we also display the law. If you have any references to the law. And at the end, you can create a fully hyperlinked version that's all secure and shareable. So outside firms use it to share with the judge and win more, basically, because they're like, this is what the witness said. Like, look at it yourself, judge. And they're also using that to collaborate with in-house teams so that it makes it easier for them to manage outside counsel. They can kind of see, understand the cases. What an interesting product. Sometimes I think the revolution in legal is coming and it's in a Microsoft Word plugin. Basha, please introduce yourself. I'm Basha Rubin, CEO and co-founder of Priori. Priori is a legal marketplace for in-house teams to find, hire, and manage a global vetted network of attorneys at firms of all sizes. Launched the company with a classmate of mine from Yale Law School back in 2013, and it's been a roller coaster journey ever since then. Now we work with everything from multiple of the Fortune 10 to fast-growing technology companies to help them achieve their outside counsel goals, whether that's cost savings versus traditional firm solutions, flexible resourcing, diversity goals, local counsel, niche expertise. We're a single source solution for hiring outside counsel. We don't use AI in our platform in any major way. Respect. But I have been following the developments in generative AI and legal as a highly interested and motivated layperson. And I'm very excited to be here today to talk more about the whirlwind that's been the last couple months. The whirlwind that's been the last couple months. Potential titles here for the podcast. And Tommy, our third New Yorker of four of us on the podcast. Hello. Hi, Tommy Frera, head of legal operations at Cedar. And I just want to say, can we throw out some love to the fact that we have 
two female CEOs on this? Two female CEOs. Come on. Founder entrepreneurs. If you all know, I'm obsessed with career path jumps. And these two women have made jumps. Like talk about risk taking. Tommy, we can aspire. Absolutely. Inspirational, aspirational. Seriously. Really thrilled to be here with you both. Okay. Here's our first question. Chat GPT. Sigh. I I don't know. I'm feeling like 70% hype or it's a preview, 30% materiality. Jackie, where are you holding with chat GPT? I see it as an incredible boon to any company that's been building AI because What it's been is really just a huge marketing effort that has captured the imaginations of even lawyers. I started my company in early 2020, like right before the pandemic hit. And I'd been reading about AI. I wrote a law review article. It was called Harnessing AI for Struggling Families. It was sort of about the child welfare system in AI. I was super interested in it. But in terms of marketing, we actually changed our main domain website. We had bought, you know, clearbrief.ai and we changed it to .com because it was like freaking lawyers out. Wow. There's a lot loaded in that term, AI. There's a lot. And people were just still very creeped out by it and thinking about robots and that kind of thing. I don't know if you all saw that New York Times article yesterday about the creepy AI. And for those who may not know, the article was quoting the AI saying, I want to be human. I want to feel things. Is this the Valentine's Day interaction? Yeah. Kevin Ruse's conversation. We talked to it for four hours. Exactly. I pulled a quote from it, actually, that really terrified me, which was what the implications of AI could be. And he wrote, instead, I worry that the technology will learn how to influence human users, sometimes persuading them to act in destructive and harmful ways and perhaps eventually grow capable of carrying out its own dangerous act. That's a bit of a leap. It's a little alarmist. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know about GPT-3. Maybe that's a GPT-4 thing where they really feel. (laughs) I think what was scary about reading it, and this is not about applications and legal in any way, is that we've already seen the influence of misinformation and deep fakes on our election, on converting people to radical ideology. And so it doesn't need to be intentional for it to be able to influence humans who don't understand who or what they're interacting with. That resonated with me in a different kind of way because I don't think you need to get all the way to the Google engineer and I wouldn't get there who left saying that AI is sentient to be able to say, well, the implications of it could be really damaging, even if it's sentient. But just to tie back, I'm actually extraordinarily hopeful about the applications of AI, particularly in legal. Yeah. I think it's a rising tide for the industry. Me too. And I think I'm actually more alarmist about just generally the New York Times' influence on people and (laughs) its degree of truth or lack thereof than the New York Times' article that took a total jump into sci-fi T2 takeover of all humankind. Jen, I think you tapped into exactly the right concern, which is both for the New York Times and also for AI, which is the oversight part of it, like the ethics and oversight. Because if it's spitting back to you, it's particularly generative AI, if it's spitting back to you Intel and you don't have the expertise to QC it, you don't know if what you're actually getting back is accurate or not. It's just a machine output. 
who checks the machine learning. Who's quality checking? Do I have to hire Elevate to quality check? Yeah. So somebody needs to QC yeah. what the output is. And I think that's the scary part because it's just too much volume of output for us to really see. To Basha's point of all of what can come out of it, deep fakes, if nobody is checking on it, it skews and no one really knows. And actually chat GPT's CTO, they have a female CTO, which is pretty cool, or OpenAI's CTO. She just released something today that sort of speaks to that, where she talks through what are we doing, you know, in terms of reviewing the data set and providing feedback and ethical safeguards. And it's not too detailed, but I think it's definitely a known issue. One of the things that I wanted to focus on that has really shaped how I've been thinking about it is that chat GPT is, it's not really a product. It's just sort of like really like a marketing thing. It's, it's just like, look, we did this cool thing. This is what AI can do. You know, this isn't like the final iteration. This is just a glimpse. It's not even a singular product. Like OpenAI built a data set and put out their pre-trained model that we're all putting on their website a question in and getting outputs. But that's their model. Yep, exactly. So if you wanted that, say, inside either of your startup tech products, you would take the algo out or buy it or hire an engineer and you would code your own algo with your own data set. And it won't be 175 billion parameters. Yeah, you can basically license it from them and kind of have the benefit of the training they've already done. And then you can do sort of like custom training on your own data set is my understanding of how, but it's very expensive to license it. And the other thing I wanted to throw out there is that they're not the only game in town. There's a lot of other large language models that are equally performant in certain domains. I think what OpenAI has done is really just captured all of our attention about it. And so they've just like won the marketing battle. But I think you're going to see that Google has... Google's coming, Azure's. There's going to be a lot of models to choose from for legal tech companies who are incorporating AI. Just to break it down for the people, GPT-3, does anyone know what that means? The acronym and put it in layman's terms. Generative pre-trained transformer. Transformer. So generative means it's able to generate new language from a data set and from thinking. Your product is generating? Our product is generative AI. One of the things I didn't mention is actually will instantly and magically generate your table of authorities. Okay. And it will also generate the citations for you to the different sources. And there's a number of other things that we're incorporating. What's cool about this is like we're learning about new cool things that you could generate in terms of language. So much of legal tech is already built on natural language processing. That's what kind of like field of AI And that's what I'm used to and been working with for a few years is you have a machine learning algorithm inside a tech product, like a contract product, and it can NLP everything by reading it and give you scores on likeness between things and or find the thing. It's like, go find this clause. Go, go Fido. And it goes and it brings back everything close, but it's not generating or it wasn't generating until some of those tech vendors have now added that component in. They're like, now it will... Do what you described, Jackie. Pull a bunch of things in and go, how's this as a starting point? That's a big jump forward. And is this going to replace lawyers? Can we calm people down? Because I don't think they'll ever be replaced. Definitely not. And it's going to make lawyers' jobs more interesting. This is what I don't understand about this alarmist thread is lawyers do a lot of really boring work. 
lawyers who are worried that this is going to replace them will not be replaced by technology. They will be replaced by the lawyer that embraces it. A hundred percent. Well, I'm glad we all agree on that. If you're a lawyer and you're worried, we need you. You're not going anywhere. You are helping us navigate forward as businesses, as people, keeping us out of jail. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's like a real important aspect of the sort of output of chatbots. I think it's becoming better understood now, but they can spit out text that sounds good and it's just not accurate. And it's completely wrong. Sometimes, of course, it spits out the the hateful, scary (laughs) things. But the more common thing is that it actually sounds very confident. Is that the transformer part? When I hear transformer, I think of Optimus Prime. But transformer means it's a deeper neural network or a new kind of neural network that is able to crawl these giant data sets and almost draw inferences and sound human-like and mimic and copy like at the neural level. Or is it just Optimus Prime? It's Optimus Prime with an English degree. No, I think there's elements of just sort of classic mimicry. And if you look at what Bing has done, they're actually able to provide some citations to the internet for where they got the information. And it looks extremely similar. It's like lifting out of articles and research. Correct. And to Basha and others' points, like will for sure lead to some really fascinating legal issues. There's already some litigation about the copyright issues with summarizing it in that way. But yeah, I think what the leap forward has been that it sounds elegant. One of the things that really struck me is that there is a very interesting sort of access to justice use case for this technology, because one of the things that lay people who are interacting with the court system who want legal representation, but they can't get it for whatever reason, they don't say things in the way that judges appreciate. And so this can actually really empower, I think, people who are involved in the legal system to say that like they have the content, they know their story. Maybe this could help them say it in a way that will get better results for them in a child custody situation or legal proceeding. Maybe that's the optimistic. (laughs) I think just sounding more eloquent, like that could be a very cool impact for those. Also, just any lawyers who struggle with their writing, the way they come across, they have the content down. I think people at large struggle with writing. I'm living my professional life in a memo culture. And I think at large, this can help people leapfrog some of those gaps. It doesn't help them learn, however. Those gaps are those gaps in a person's ability to write. And my fear is that a lot of this tech is going to make us all as people less sharp. My hope is that it helps us reframe our education system in a way that is more valuable. So there's been all this hype around the fact that chat GPT passed the bar as well as I think the medical licensing exam too. Oh, okay. The MCAT. The bar sucks. Yeah. This is where Basha broke and was like, career change. The bar exam is memorizing and regurgitating information. That is not actually a useful set of skills to being a lawyer. Why don't we use this as a moment to rethink how we're training people both in early education and in their professions? I do see the worry about it being a crutch that inhibits people learning how to write and learning how to think analytically. But I I really believe that, and maybe I'm an optimist about humans and uh, human ability and human nature, that the creative part of being a human 
which is the interesting part about being alive and working and making your imprint on the world is not going to be replaced by AI. It's like the industrial revolution. It is going to free up more time for us to focus on that interesting part. Basha just went steam engine on us. And I love your optimism and I share it. And I believe everyone is creative, even when they think they're not. But I think we get steamrolled by tech and swiping. And maybe I should put this in LinkedIn in another way. I'm guilty of this. I'm all over LinkedIn. But I hope that it could be used for positive and as a litmus test and as a way to challenge ourselves. Like if the machine can beat the bar exam, let's rethink certifying lawyers. I heard someone say a quote that really resonated with me, which was that this is sort of like a calculator for words. Love that. You know, we are fine with using a calculator. Like We did learn how to do math by hand. And it's an important part of our building blocks of understanding the world. But we don't do math by hand. We use a calculator. I think this could see a sort of similar path. But one of the interesting things that I just was thinking about from what you all were saying was that I was an English major. I love writing. My company's a legal writing company. I'm obsessed with it. But I feel like I learned the most about writing from reading. We're still going to have to read a lot, scroll on our phones a lot. I think that's a really powerful way to absorb good writing skills is reading and mimic what you see. So maybe that will help. That's another activity under threat by all the screens in our lives. But don't we communicate more? We just communicate in a different way, but we communicate and we're constantly reading. I bet we read more as a society. You think so? It's in front of us. I'm constantly reading articles on my phone. That's you. You're above average. I don't think everyone's reading. Tweets and... Yeah, (laughs) even if it's bite-sized. Yeah, but bite-sized reading, I think, chops up attention span and keeps people away from going deep in literature and long narrative and the depth that is and all of that. Chat GPT, GPT-3 is about depth. It is outreading all of us as a human race every second and pulling in insight and language and constructing language possibly better than humans. It's not better though. I mean, I don't know. I've played around with it enough. Right now, it, it's pretty bland sounding and it lasts burstiness is sort of the, the way they're qualifying that characterization of human writing. Burstiness. And I think it's always just going to be a tool. And what we shouldn't forget in this whole thing is that lawyers are not just writing machines. We are so much of our job is about communicating our advice, whether it's litigators in court, communicating with the judge. That will always be a critical part, you know, when you're in-house counsel. And synthesizing a new point of view in an unprecedented landscape, regulatory, legal, criminal, whatever it is. Yeah, machine can't do that. But can the machine play to the audience? So what I mean is if you are writing a brief for a particular judge and the machine does enough analysis of what maybe has come out or what it can synthesize about that judge, like, can you write to that judge? Like, that's what I'd be interested in seeing people do analysis on. There are products actually right now, like Trellis is another women-owned legal tech company that brings the judges sort of pre-existing decisions kind of to your fingertips. But ultimately, it's always a choice about your choice and your set of facts and your case, what to write. Because we don't want to get into a dystopian situation where I'm not going to raise this argument because I don't think it has a shot with this judge. Because look, that's how you change the law. And, you know, ultimately it's going to get appealed and go to a different judge. You don't want to just only play to that one judge. You want to try to move the law forward and do what's right for your client and your facts. 
there's always going to be that human judgment. And it's going to become even more important now because there's so much noise. I think our first quality check testers of chat GBT and GBT3 will be high school teachers and guidance counselors. They will be checking this going. There's no way this child wrote that or college admissions professionals. There's no way this child wrote that. The machine did it. If you don't know the child though, if you don't have a little bit of context of who they are, do you think maybe if you don't know their tone, if you don't know their capacity and where their level is, you might be able to fool a college admissions essay. Those people read these for a living. They did 10,000 hours over and over again. Don't they use tech to QC? They do. First of all, there have been different tech solutions on the market for a long time to try and catch different kinds of plagiarism that search blocks of text against the internet. There's a number of apps. There's one from, I think, a Princeton undergrad, perhaps. There's a number of competitors now that are trying to do that. But what they've found from sort of testing them is that if you tweak the language enough that you get from the AI, it won't be able to catch it. So I really see that as kind of being something just like the calculator analogy, right? Like it's not necessarily a bad thing that they're testing for the fact that you wrote it all on your own. Great, use AI, but like they're testing that you know how to write something that's accurate, that's true, that sounds respectful and persuasive. You know, there's different ways of measuring the output with AI in the picture. I think it goes back to like, is our education system broken? If we are relying only on these kinds of written outputs where there was always myriad opportunity for cheating, let's be real. You could have your roommate write your essay. It's not that the idea of cheating is new. It's just this incarnation of it. And I think it should be a moment of reflection for how we could build a better system as opposed to pretending this is novel. Or a way of iterating forward on your own writing or your own voice or your own statement in a courtroom before a judge or your own I'm sorry letter. I think about it when I was younger and I first started writing songs. I would pull up a Nirvana song right there, lyrics and structure. Then I'd pull up a blank doc. And then for every beat and syllable, line by line, I would write in a blank doc. And sometimes I would steal a word because I was a kid and learning a craft. And sometimes my songs would come out structured like that Nirvana song. And am I going to go out and perform that to an audience and try to sell them on it? If it's too much of a copy, the audience will not engage. They won't. They'll go rip off or this is a facsimile. But if I do it and find my own voice within that and keep iterating, I might find my own song. And therefore, the copying actually served as a learning tool. That's why the IP of all this is going to be so fascinating and fun to watch evolve. And the copyright litigation. Yeah. Their seats must be heating up. They're just going like this with their hands like... Come, come to me, business. Come to me. Become an IP ethics or privacy lawyer if you're, if you're in law school. The cases are coming up already. I think Getty was in a case about use of images in the model. So those will all go and go and go. And some will go to the Supreme Court and they'll make all this case law from it. And then it'll trickle into academia. Well, cool. So I sense a panel of semi-optimists here about chat GPT and the GPT-3 technology, but it sounds like we're all aligned that it's an ethical explosion. 
and still to be worked out. Fascinating problems to solve. To bring it way back for our core audience, in-house legal ops folks and our partner vendors and some law firm folks, is it hitting our tools now? I don't think it is yet, at least not in my tech stack. Is it hitting the contract tools and the e-billing, the panel selection tools now, next year? Was it yesterday that I forget what firm just said they're going to use Harvey, which is an open AI based funded startup and is generative AI in their internal drafting. Okay, so it's coming in. ClearBrief is used currently by hundreds of firms across the country, including a number of big law firms. We haven't done big splashy PR announcements, but we also have courts, government agencies and in-house teams at some of the biggest corporations in the world that use ClearBrief and ask their outside counsel to use it. And I'm obviously like super excited about this moment because as we talked about, the biggest pitfall of GPT-3 is that it spits out stuff that sounds true, but it's not. And also it's undetermined the source. And often the things that we're writing when we're in-house counsel or outside counsel, the sources have to come from a closed universe of our private secure documents. And so we've productized the solution so that if you're writing about this and you need to reference and figure out where did I find this information? Clearbrief, you can select your text in Word and the AI will suggest the most relevant pages from across all of that universe that you have that's private, secure, and allow you to insert a hyperlinked reference so that when you're trying to explain, like let's put in the HR context, the HR department has brought you a bunch of emails and text messages or something sketchy going on with a manager. And legal has to kind of write a memo about whether this needs to be referred out to outside counsel for an investigation. Drag in those emails and those texts and whatever documents you have into Clearbrief and Word. You've read them so you know the story that you want to tell so you can just write. This person said something sketchy in the email. You can select that text and then Clearbrief will show you the different exact lines and highlight it for you from the emails to be like, this supports that and you can insert that. And now you've just made a very clear story that others in the the in-house team and also your business customers can follow. Because that was a big challenge when I was in-house. Now you can sort of show them. You're like, well, why don't you just read the email that Jim wrote? And then they're like, oh, we get it. The point I'm extracting from what you just shared is that people need to remember closed universe. So starting now, we are going to start seeing generative functionality, generative AI functionality pop up in many legal tech tools that we all license for our companies, legal departments, but they're drawing from a closed universe set of documents. So if you have an ironclad or Evisort as a contract repository or CLM solution, it's going to only draw from those tens of thousands to millions of documents that are in your closed universe and generate from that. And that's okay because Ironclad or an episode, they're not in there. They're not piping it out. You will not be pulling from the large universe of what we're seeing behind the Bing version, the Microsoft version, the OpenAI versions. And we should not be taking any of our legal precedent to any of those big universes. No, 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 everybody. Keep it clean. Keep it close in the universe. Legal ops professionals will do really well, though, to be curious and investigating and be very open about learning more about this topic. I think we're maybe a couple years away from it coming into our universe, but I think still be curious about it. That's what I think. 
We have to know what's what in our products. Some of my lawyers are already coming to me. A lot of engineering and data scientists are coming to me with excitement to collaborate. They're like, what can we do with AI and ML over contracts? I'm like, how about try doing what I've been doing for the last two years with ML (laughs) over contracts? Like join me in the fun and let's combine forces. So everyone is really into the buying into the marketing. And I think that it is a good thing. And that's huge in legal because legal is slow to change their minds about technology. So if nothing else, I think we can all appreciate that. This has gotten people realizing like, oh, crap, I better learn about it. I better pay attention to it. I mean, I've been now invited to speak at so many different bar associations because there is now an ethical duty of competence of understanding technology. And so we're finally like, all right, well, I better get competent in this. I've spoken at the bar a few times and the law school admissions one. I've never been invited back. I wonder if it's because I just say such controversial things. Regardless, I think it's important that we're out there opining and talking about it and building our acumen. Here's my last question for you all. I think Mary O'Carroll reposted an article today on LinkedIn and it's this caught my eye. The generative AI, this is a flashpoint in time and tech and everything. It's maybe the biggest thing we've seen in dozens of years and someone likened it to being bigger than our move to mobile. And I was like, whoa, slow down. I don't know about that. Anyone think it's bigger than the move to mobile? I don't. I'm worried about things getting overhyped. You're no. Basha, where are you on this? I think we're at the beginning of a seat change. I don't think it's overnight. I don't think the technology that exists today is going to be bigger than the mobile revolution as it exists. You know, it's not overnight is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's an ironclad post from this morning on a Bloomberg clip from a Sequoia Capital person saying it's a watershed moment for tech bigger than the move from on-prem to SaaS, bigger than the move from desktop to mobile. Maybe I'll take the SaaS, on-prem SaaS. Yeah. Okay but not mobile yet. We need time. That's where I'm holding. Tommy, where are you holding? I echo your and Basha's sentiment exactly. I think way too soon to sell, but I bet when we look back on it, we'll see how huge it was. But I think we're just at the turning point. Casey Flaherty posted an article recently that he wrote and said, this is a preview of progress. Casey, that's where I'm holding. It is a preview of what's to come. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your thoughts and your product details. I'm so intrigued to see the product and learn more. And this was a really agreeable group. I didn't get to start a fight with anyone or disagree or (laughs) threaten to leave. Thank you for being a part of that. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. Thank you, Tommy, Basha, Jackie, for sharing your insights with us on generative AI. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.